Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all here. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Ignite, and I'm really happy that you could be with us uh, this morning. Last week, we kicked off a sermon series um, called The Gospel of Matthew. We've been working through uh, the book of Matthew. We'll be doing that for, for a while. And um, the gospel, the word gospel means good news. That's what the word gospel means. And so it's the good news um, that Matthew wants to tell us. It's not the good, good news about Matthew. It's the good news that Matthew wants to share with us. Matthew uh, was a Jewish tax collector who was an eyewitness and disciple of Jesus. He's one of the 12. And uh, after Jesus died and rose again from the grave, Matthew would write this account under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And this is the good news concerning Jesus uh, written from Matthew's perspective. Now, Matthew um, is Jewish, and his audience originally was to Jewish people. A lot of Jews would be able to write and understand what he was saying because he references a lot of the Old Testament, which is the two, first two-thirds of your Bible. Um, that is the Jewish scriptures. The New Testament of, uh, adds on uh, the, the last third, and it's the whole complete story of God. And so Matthew um, writes primarily to Jewish Jewish, uh, Jewish audience, although um, even though that it, it wasn't written to us, it's definitely written for us. We benefit greatly from these scriptures, and we're going to see today um, just how incredible God is and his unfolding plan uh, to save the world through his son, uh, Jesus. And so that's what we've been talking about in Matthew. And as we read this, I want, I want this to, to stick with you guys uh, today because God is unmatched in planning and unrivaled in power, okay? I'm going to say that again. God is unmatched in planning. No one can plan better than God, and he's unrivaled in power. There's nobody stronger than God. Today, what we're going to be talking about is a piece of scripture in Matthew, uh, the second half of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two that um, might um, be surprising to actually be reading it this time of year because often we read this at Christmas time. This is the scripture um, that we read at Christmas time, and you're like, dude, I'm not ready for Christmas, man. Like, we, had a, we just had a miserable fall where, like, the high was 12, and we had, you know, 40 days of rain, all that kind of stuff, like, of epic proportions. Um, don't worry, we're going to be talking about it, but um, what we're going to be focusing on really in this, in this reading today is about the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus. Um, God, would, uh, God would unfold this plan even from the beginning of the book of Genesis. We would read about how God was going to send the Christ, the Savior of the world, into the world. And, and all along the way, he would have these signs and wonders and prophecies. They're like signposts. Okay, um, you're getting closer, you're getting closer, you're getting closer. A prophecy, a prophecy, a prophecy as we match these things up. I, I did a lot of driving this week. Um, I drove down to Sioux Falls. Um, and then from Sioux Falls, I drove over to Minneapolis, because why not? And then, um, and then I drove back. Uh, I was one doozy of a detour. No, so, um, but the amazing thing about driving from Minneapolis to Moorhead is the mile markers actually count down to how many miles you are away from Moorhead because Moorhead is zero, okay? It's not a zero, it's just zero. It's like on the North Dakota border, right? And so as you're driving, you're like, 
125 miles, 124 miles, right? All along the way, every mile marker, you're one mile closer to your destination. And as we look at these prophecies, we're one mile marker closer to our destination of Jesus, okay? So that's what those prophecies were there for, to help us understand who the Christ would be. And so we're going to look at the birth of Jesus, and we're going to look at um, some early, uh, early years of Jesus, uh, the early time about, uh, around Jesus' birth. And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew, surprise, um, chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 18. Here we go. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a, just and un, uh, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary home as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And this took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Right away what we see with the birth of Jesus, is this did not come about in the usual way. Um, everything about Jesus is unusual, okay? He's God in the flesh, and so everything he does looks unusual to us, and, and even his entering into human history. Now listen, Jesus has always existed, always existed. He's God, but he entered into human history when he took on flesh and was born by the Virgin Mary, okay? Um, so, uh, so this is what happens Mary is engaged to a guy named Joseph. She comes to him one day and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Joseph knows that he has treated her honorably and lived by the way the Lord has commanded him to live and has respected her and respected the boundaries of, of marriage and when you should be together as a couple and they were not married yet. And so he honored her and here she says she's pregnant. And she says, but Joseph, I'm, I've, been honoring you. I've been honoring you. I've been honoring God as well too. This is a work of God. This is miraculous. And Joseph was like, um, yeah, that doesn't happen. So here's Joseph in a conundrum. What does he do? Because at this moment, he actually could, by law, have her stoned to death. He could have also, if he didn't want to do that, he could have brought great shame on her family, great shame on her. She could have lived as a, uh, as a woman of uh, disrepute all, like all her life. She could have been marked by this. But he says, you know what? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce her quietly. I'm going to leave this situation. I need out, but I'm going to divorce her quietly. He was unwilling to put her to shame, which I think says a lot about the kind of guy that Joseph was. And he goes to bed that night and he dreams and an angel of the Lord shows up and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what she's telling you is true. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. He's like, I've never seen that before. He's like, exactly, that's the point, right? Like, it never happens. 
And that's what makes it so unusual. So bring her home. And, 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 he, and so he wakes up. He's like, you know what? The Lord has spoken. I'm going to do what God has told me to do. And this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had spoken. Isaiah was the prophet who spoke, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It's Isaiah who writes this down under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. God says, write this down. And as Isaiah is writing this down, like a virgin shall conceive. Okay, this is interesting. And bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is interesting because they said, you call his name Jesus. So is his name Jesus or Emmanuel? Which one is it? Um, and so the word, the name Jesus means God saves. That's what Jesus means. And so God saves. And so he says, you're going to name his name. You're going to name him God saves because God is going to save people from their sins. And then he says, and they are going to call his name Emmanuel, which means every time we think of the name Jesus, every time we think of the name Jesus, I want you to remember this, God is with us. The name of Jesus should stir up in us that emotion and that thought that God is with us. Even when life doesn't make sense because it surely didn't make sense to Joseph. Even when things look weird, even when we can't make sense of things, we need to remember God is with us. And so when we pray the name of Jesus, we should remember that his name reminds us that God is with us and God will save his people from their sins. By the way, this prophecy was written about 600 years before Jesus was born. So if you're on your way to if you're on your way home to Fargo-Moorhead, you're in middle of Iowa. You're a long ways away, and it looks like it's going to take forever. That's where we're at with that prophecy, and now it's being fulfilled. Chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king... Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes and of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may too go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen, when it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What we see in this account is that the birth of Jesus, God entering history, is actually locked in and anchored in historical events. This 
actually happened. Herod was a real person, and it was during his governing authority that Jesus enters into the world. Now, it says Herod's the king, but here's the thing. Israel is under Roman control at this time, and, and Herod is of Jewish descent, and he, um, he's a ruler. He's got authority, governing authority, in the area around Jerusalem, and he said, I'm king. He loves being king. He loves the authority. And by the way, one of the most wicked men who have ever walked the face of the earth. And he's all enjoying being the king. And these wise men from the east, from Persia, that area, come walking into Jerusalem and saying, hey, where's the real king? Herod's like, well, I mean, they're like, no, 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 the real king. Where's the king that was born who's king of the Jews? And that troubles Herod, and he immediately asks about the Christ. Something to be said about that, right? He goes, where's the Christ? Where's the, where's the Christ supposed to be born? Gather, and everybody's thrown up into an uproar. They find out these Persian guys come walking in going, where's the king of the Jews? That throws the whole city in an uproar going, are we going to be out from Roman control? Do we, need to guard our, do we need to get our arms ready? Do we need to go? Is Rome coming for us? Are we going to fight back? Are we going to take this? The whole city's in an uproar. And Herod goes, pulls the wise men aside and said, hey, where, where? First, he gathers the, the, the scribes together and says, where are they supposed to be? Where's the Christ supposed to be coming from? They said, well, according to the prophecy, if we look at one of the signposts, um, he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. Not Jerusalem, not the capital city, but Bethlehem, the rural town outside of the suburbs, like fourth ring suburb kind of thing, you know, way out there. That's where the Christ is supposed to be coming from because the prophet, the prophet Micah told us this. The prophet Micah said that he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. Now, here's the amazing thing. Joseph and Mary don't live in Bethlehem. They don't live there. They're not residing in the, city, in the town of Bethlehem when Mary finds out she's pregnant. So how could she be up here and yet he's going to be born in Bethlehem? There's a historical event called a census that the Roman Empire conducted amongst its people. And they said, to make this easy, what we're going to do is you have to go back to the place of your ancestry. You have to go back to the town of which your family's from because it makes it easy to count. By the way, we can also keep an eye on you. And so everybody's got to go back to their places of, uh, of ancestry. Joseph, being the son of David, he's in the line of David, who's a king, Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem because that's where David is from. And so from where they lived all the way back down into Bethlehem, and it's in Bethlehem that Jesus is born. So he's born in the old little town of Bethlehem. There's a song about that. And it's there that the wise men, they go, okay, so... Uh, when, when did the star come? When did this all lead you up? And the wise man goes, we have been following this thing from the east. Chances are, by the way, the wise men were probably reading the writings of Daniel. Which is cool because we studied Daniel earlier this year. It was probably the writings of Daniel that informed them that the king of the Jews, the, the Christ, the savior of the world, 
had arrived. And they're like, we want to go see him because we want to worship him. So even in some place that, that other people other people would consider overlooked, God would take that place and bring the Savior of the world. God does some amazing work in the overlooked places of the world. And God will do amazing work in overlooked people. So if you feel overlooked, know that God sees you still. And there might be something for you of significance. But Herod wanted to go worship the king. And the wise men were warned in a dream. God intervened and said, yeah, don't go back that way by Herod. So they went home another way. We continue. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Can we just pause and say, like, the life of Joseph had to be pretty tumultuous. Here you are, you're a carpenter, just living life, right? Making an honest living, working hard. I have utmost respect for carpenters. Working hard. Sees a young lady, says, I like her. They get to know each other. He proposes. Things good, right? We're going we're gonna to get married. We're going to have a family. This is going to be awesome. She says, I'm pregnant. Joseph's like, but I haven't touched you. And he says, this is a work of God. Gets warned in a dream. Yes, she is speaking the truth. Now they have to go to Bethlehem for this census. Everything's in an uproar. You, the baby's born. You're hanging out. Knock on the door. Three Persian dudes are standing there going, hey, we got some gifts for the baby. Like, <laughs> This is like the craziest baby shower, <laughs> right? And they come and they bow down and they worship. And if you're Joseph, man, you got to be sitting there going, what? Right? They worship him. They give him gifts. Thank you so much. Oh, by the way, we're not going to go back that way. We got to go this way. And they're like, okay, cool. And they go to bed one night. And the Lord intervenes and speaks to Joseph and says, get up and get up now. You need to get up. You need to get everything together. You need to get Mary. You need to get Jesus. And you need to get out of here. So he wakes him up in the middle of the night. She's like, Mary, you got to get up. We got to pack the stuff. Get the frankincense. Get the myrrh. Get the clothes. Get, let's go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. She's like, where are we going? Egypt. Why are we going to Egypt? Because God told me to go to Egypt. He told me in a dream. Can you trust your dreams? He said that you were right by saying you were virgin and pregnant. Good point. All right, let's go, right? Right? We have this moment where they have to get up and go because there's danger. And they flee. And they go to Egypt. And this was to fulfill a prophecy. This was to fulfill a prophecy. Out of Egypt I called my son. This prophet, uh, who wrote this by the hand of God, this is the prophet Hosea. So now we have Isaiah, we have Micah, we have Hosea. We have three different people writing different signposts and God's starting to connect all the dots. 
Hosea was a prophet that had to show people their unfaithfulness to God. And one of the ways he had to demonstrate how people were unfaithful to God is he had to marry an unfaithful woman. And so his life is marked by ransoming back and inviting his unfaithful wife back into his home. And he said, this is exactly how God feels about us. We are unfaithful, committing spiritual adultery. And God keeps bringing us back and bringing us back and bringing us back. And through this, Hosea is communicated by God to write to people. And he also says this prophecy, out of Egypt I called my son. Egypt is really important in the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of your Bible. Um, Egypt is where uh, the, the Israelites became slaves for 400 years, and Moses led them out of slavery. And what he's saying is, out of Egypt, I called my son, meaning I'm calling people out of slavery. Now, oh, the, 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 um, the, the Israelite people were led out of a physical slavery and darkness, and when Jesus comes, the Christ comes, he's going to call us, and Jesus is going to lead us out of Egypt. He's going to lead us out of slavery and darkness. The slavery of sin that we all find ourselves chained to. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move Jesus here out of the, out of the Bethlehem region. I'm going to move Jesus over to Egypt so that I can call him out. And he's going to go there and rescue his people and call us out. That's what we're seeing here, we're starting to get the dots connected to the signpost going, oh, there's actually a path here of God's unfolding plan to bring about the Christ. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. This piece of scripture here, this section, actually makes me sick to my stomach. Like I get nauseous when I read this. Herod, who's a puppet king, wants no rivals to his throne. He would kill his own children. In fact, he did, some of them. Because he was paranoid that they would take his power. And when you have power and paranoia and you put them together, a lot of death usually happens. And when Herod saw that the wise men weren't coming back, he was furious. So he said, we're going to kill them all. He sends his troops to the little town of Bethlehem to slaughter kids who even appear to be two years old or younger. Just kill him. I can't imagine what it was like to be a resident of Bethlehem just sitting at home one evening and have your door kicked in by guards who came and killed your child 
in front of your eyes. This is a dark, 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 evil, demonic thing. And this dark stain in history of the Israelites was foretold by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote two books in the Bible. One, the book of Jeremiah, that bears his name. The other was the book of Lamentations. It means to lament. He's known as the weeping prophet. He sees a lot of things that are going bad. And he's weeping over the state of Israel with God. And the prophecy was, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel was one of the wives of a guy named Jacob. Jacob has his name changed by God later in life to Israel. So there's a guy named Israel. Israel has 12 sons who then have families who then become tribes. It's a family system that grows. So now they are the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? And then those 12, 12 tribes unite and become the nation of Israel. It's a family system that had spread out over the years. And Rachel was one of the wives of Israel. And what we see in this moment is like a poetic, a poetic like Rachel weeping for her children in this moment. See, the idea is like she's like the mother of a nation. And she's weeping for her children the voice heard from Rama. Rama is a city near the grave of Rachel. And so what we see in this moment is the brokenness and the darkness of the human heart unbridled in sin. And there's weeping and she's refused to be comforted. You ever been in that place? where it's really dark? Are you here today because you are in a really dark place? And you're like, maybe church will help. Some of us in this room find ourselves in these dark, dark places. But I want to encourage you if you're here today and you're in one of those places, I want to encourage you with this. God knew this was going to happen and it didn't stop him from bringing hope. This is not the end of the story. And if you're in here today and you're thinking it's so dark, I want to end it all, I beg you to turn to Jesus and understand that this is not the end of the story where you find yourself right now. This was not going to stop God from bringing light into a dark, dark situation. But when Herod died, thank God, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. So Herod dies. An angel shows up to Joseph and says, you can go back, it's safe. They go back into uh, Israel. They're making their way back to the southern part. They find out that Herod's son is now the ruler. And they're like, you know what? I think there's some other neighborhoods we could go to. Just gonna keep walking. And so they do. They go up to the northern part in Galilee. Okay, so they're they're way up on the northern end, away from it. Different ruler, different governing body up there. They're away from Archelaus. They're like, okay, we are good. And they go and they go to up in Galilee, the district of Galilee, and they go to a, a little town called Nazareth. This is the best way that I can describe Nazareth. Um, armpit of Israel this might be the might be the proper uh, academic uh, term of it. I think Greek and Hebrew scholars I think agree that is the he that is the armpit of Israel. It is not a great town. I mean, it ain't a great town at all. It is considered trashy. Okay. In fact, it gets so bad that when people said, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is here, they're like, who cares? Like, what good comes from Nazareth? And it says this was actually to be fulfilled by the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's not a direct quote of one prophet. It's kind of the overall sense and generalization of many prophets that talk about what the Christ is going to be, and that is he's going to be rejected, he's going to be forsaken, he's going to be overlooked, he's going to be despised, and he's going to be just pushed away as someone that you would not want to be around. Places like Zechariah 9 and 11, the prophet Zechariah, Isaiah would say this. In the Psalms, it says this. It's kind of this overarching thing that like collectively that he would be called a Nazarene. It's a derogatory term. It's a place that you don't want to be from. It's a place that nobody would expect. But here's the amazing thing. This is why God is un unmatched in his planning. Because if we were going to bring the king of the world, if we were going to bring the savior of the world, we would not do it this way. None of us would do it this way. What are you going to do? Uh, pregnant teenage mom who's never been with a man, um, going to be try to be killed by uh, uh, a king, uh, going to move to a neighboring country that we have strife with, and we're going to move back to a place where nobody wants to be from. We don't pick that. That's not in human nature to pick that. And yet God does this. He's unmatched in his planning. I have a map of the journey. Um, so they start in Bethlehem. They go to Egypt. They go back up to Nazareth, okay? You kind of see on the map, that's where they are. That's about 1,000 miles. And they would walk 500 and 500 more. First service didn't get that. That was special. <laughs> Just for you guys. Just for you guys. Terrible joke. All right. But it was about a thousand miles they would walk. 
God would connect the dots through that. That's, that's amazing. That's not how we would plan it. And the other thing that I love is that God is unmatched in his power. God is unmatched in his power. He's unrivaled in his power. No one could, Rome would subjugate God's people. Couldn't stop God's plan. Herod would try to kill God's anointed. Couldn't stop God's plan. Yet neither of them could stand. Okay, so when I was a kid, um, there was people who would talk big, all right? And they would say if they were going to get in a fight and they wanted to show how powerful they were, they would say this, I could beat you with one hand tied behind my back, right? I could beat you with one hand tied behind my back. I could beat you with two hands tied behind my back. I would just headbutt you and it'd be done, right? Like these guys, like, the idea is this, I can make myself weaker and still beat you. In essence, God is saying, I can come from Nazareth. You could try to kill me. You could do all these things. I, I'll, I'll take the rejection. I could still beat you. See, there's nothing that's going to stop the plan of God. He can make himself come into the most weak and feeble situations in human history and still come about on top. And you know what God's plan is? And this is what I love about God. You know what God's plan is? To save us. God's plan is to save us from our sin. To lead us out of slavery. To come and be unique that we wouldn't be able to mistake him from anybody else. We can put our trust in him. Because promise after promise after promise after promise for thousands of years were made. And God made good on all those promises. God has never broken his promises. Ever. God has never broken a promise. We can trust him with our lives because we see how faithful he is to his promises. And he's a shepherd king who protects us and leads us, not tries to destroy us like Herod would. He leads us into paths of righteousness. And there's nothing the world can do to stop him from sharing his love and salvation with the world. Not a thing. God is not intimidated by the world. And that's a comforting thought. And if you're here and you're in this place today, and you're like, I want to follow this king. I want to be a part of this family. I want to be adopted into the family of God. I want to follow Jesus, but I'm so jacked up, I'm so messed up, I'm so broken. If God knew these things, man, I don't know what he would do. The reality is God already knows those things, knows all about you, and loves you deeply and wants to save you. He wants to take all of your junk and all of your sin, and he wants to nail it to the cross where he went for us so it can be dealt with once and for all. And he wants to lead us in new life. And if you're here today and you're like, I want that, and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus before, I'm gonna ask, if you're here today, God's tugging on your heart, and you're in that moment, and you're like, I need to make a decision, and I want to follow him, and you're there right now, there's a couple things I would like you to do. Number one, take out your connection card, put that on your card, put your name, put your email address, and if you feel comfortable, your phone number, because we want to follow up with you. 
We want to give you some resources. We want to connect you to people. We want to pray for you. We want to know. And just write on the card, I've decided to follow Jesus. You can check that off. You can write on the card, whatever it is. If you're in that moment right now, please do that at this time. And if you are there, then I want you to follow along with me as I pray in a moment. I'm going to pray with us. And it's not a special, there's no magic potion or formula to praying to God. But what it is, is really just sharing your heart with the Lord. And if you're there today, I want you to, I want you to follow along with me as I pray. And then after that, you can drop your connection card in the bucket. and We'd love to follow up with you. And there's going to be people down here that want to pray for you. And if you want to come down and be prayed for, you should. I invite you to. If you want to talk to me, I'll be hanging out down here too. Just say, I've decided to follow Jesus. What next? Because it's not the end. It's just the beginning. Let's pray.